Ronaldo is ready. Strikes. Manchester is blue, but for how much longer? They're feeling blue. They might be thrown out of out of UEFA altogether. Now they won't be. Welcome back into Crossing Broad FC, the only Philadelphia-based international football podcast. I'm Russ Joy, at Joy on Broad on Twitter. Joined as always by the city apologist, the city man himself, the city controller, the city mayor. That's Phil Kaidel, who you can find on Twitter, at Phil Kaidel. That's K-E-I-D-E-L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Kaidel. Phil, uh, I, I know last week you uh, were a little bit braggadocious. You were a little bit excited about what uh, what happened with uh, your lovely town, Manchester City, your team. And um, some news broke over the course of the last week that uh, might be making you feel a little bit blue. I just wanted to check in. How, how are you feeling over there, fella? Well, what's to be upset about? They won the FA Cup in fairly routine fashion, 6-0 over Watford. Domestic treble. Uh, unprecedented achievement in English football. And it should be a time of unfettered joy and happiness and pride uh, for Manchester City supporters. But unfortunately, as always happens, the minute any club starts winning too much, uh, people start looking for reasons to tear it down. And that's where we are, uh, not just as City supporters, but in the world football community generally. Uh, everybody wants to talk about where the money comes from with Manchester City, uh, which is funny because nobody ever seemed to talk about where the money comes from when Chelsea was winning. But we can get to more of that later. I gotta say, it feels like a just just a nice a nice little little moment there for the rest of the uh, the footballing world to just see a little bit of that air being taken out of the uh, Manchester City balloon. I don't want to let the balloon all the way out. Like I don't want to let all the air out. I'm gonna still let it be a balloon. We just want you to know that we're there. And Let we're me tell watching. you something. It's all super dumb, and here's why. All right? Yeah, the domestic treble never been done before. They won the League Cup, which is the dumbest of the three trophies. It's probably a tournament that should be, in fact, relegated to non-Premier League sides. That would make a lot more sense. But they won the League Cup final on penalties over Chelsea. So they are a missed penalty here or a made penalty there from not winning the treble. And if they'd only won the Premier League in the FA Cup... I don't think we're having this conversation. So that's point Are one. Are you serious? I really do. I, I think on. the fact that they that they won the treble, they won the three trophies, and the last victory was such a smashing of Watford is why there's this intense scrutiny on City. And, of course, the other thing that's going on here, let's not lie about this, the time that passed between their winning the league and then winning the FA Cup and now us waiting for the Europa League final on May 29th and then the Champions League final after that – People have to fill space on the great wide internets, and they have to come up with stories. And so what's a better story right now in English football? The fact that City's too good and the fact that money comes from the wrong places. Because there's nothing else to talk about with Chelsea and Arsenal or Liverpool and Tottenham right now. That's got to be saved for a couple days before those respective matches. So the microscope comes out on City unnecessarily, stupidly, and unfairly if Truth be told, again, they sneaked through with the League Cup win, and they won the Premier League by one goddamn point. They lost four matches in the league this year. 
Liverpool only lost once. It's not City's fault that Liverpool drew all those matches against lesser teams. City doesn't have any control over that. So to suggest that City is A, too good, or B, bad for English football is ignorant because they're not steam pressing these competitions the way Barcelona does it in Spain or Real Madrid does it in Spain when they're good or the way Bayern Munich does it when they're good. It's not comparable, and it's a ridiculous argument, and I've said all I can say about it. You're really upset, and I'm glad. I'm glad that you're upset. I do think it's a little bit nonsensical. I, I think that it's a, a, a kind of bad argument on your part that had they not won the treble that people wouldn't care. Like this, What's the best way to put this? City is going to be the biggest story. City should be the biggest story. Um, although I, I think you could also make the argument that this is exactly the kind of thing that Pep Guardiola kind of revels in. He won't admit that, th- that this is the kind of thing that he enjoys. But Pep likes to be the story. He'll say that he doesn't. But, like, when you're one of the best managers in the world and you're leading one of the best teams in the world, look, you know, instead of this becoming a, um, you know, a weekend where the, the storyline, you know, ends up being that, um, you know, it's great that City won, but they got knocked, at, you know, they didn't find that next level of success in the Champions League. And it's it's no longer a Liverpool weekend. It's no longer a, hey, let's uh, talk about Liverpool's chances against Tottenham in the Champions League final. It's still all about City. City have become what the Los Angeles Lakers are to their league. They are stealing headlines away from teams that are potentially more deserving to have conversation within the context of, of their nation. Um, and even within the international community, look, City winning the league is great. Winning the, the domestic treble is awesome. But we should be turning our sights to Tottenham and to Liverpool. And instead, we're just kind of getting, you know, brought back in on the fact that, like, you know, City, and I know that, you know, you like to make the argument that City's not the only team that has bad owners or have owners that aren't exactly the uh, the most on the up and up. Fine. But, like, the fact that, that we're sitting here leading off the show talking about some impropriety, the impropriety of, uh, of what City may or may not have done or, or whatever and, and are now facing this Champions League ban for a year that we know isn't going to be uh, imposed on or upheld by UEFA, I just think it's kind of a shame. So I don't, I don't want to focus much more on this, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're upset. Well, and just to make it very, very clear, most world football fans are not upset with Manchester City because of their financial fair play violations. That's something that just about every club has ever done. What they complain about is where City's money comes from, which is, frankly, a totalitarian state where, again, it's a terrible place to be if you're not in the ruling class. Uh, it's, it's blood money. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, and so, yes, you're going to get a lot of people who look at this and say, but for the source of that money, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing, which is all true. The problem is money's fungible, and all of these clubs are owned by billionaires in the Premier League. And I'm willing to bet that if we turned over rocks on all of the individuals who own Premier League clubs or their conglomerates or consortiums, we'd find some pretty terrible stuff that went down to build those fortunes. Maybe not, probably not, as bad as the stuff that went into what City's ownership group has done. But bad is bad is bad, and money is money. Hmm. All right, let's move on. Let's move on to something a little bit more fun, shall we? Let's. Is that okay? Let's talk about City's uh, 6-0 drubbing of Watford in the FA Cup, a match that I think everybody thought Watford was really going to go end-to-end on with uh, with City. 
We thought this was going to be a, a close match all the way through, and that maybe Watford could even pull it out in the last minute. I'm just kidding. Of course we didn't think that was well, Watford had the best chance early. I mean, they, they had a striker in one-on-one with Ederson, and Ederson just stuck a right foot out and deflected the ball away. And if that goal goes in and Watford takes an early lead, it's a much, much different match because goals change games. But that's not what happened. And, you know, shortly thereafter, City gained control of the match. And really, after they scored the second goal, at that point, there's probably not much doubt of in anybody's mind in the building that they're going to win the match. Now, here's another ancillary problem as I sit here defending my club, probably unnecessarily. If they don't win 6-0, if they win 2 or 3-0, also not the splashy headlines and the pearl clutching about whether they're bad for football. But the problem is they're so good that when they get up two or three goals against sides that are outmanned like Watford was in this match, professional players who should have some damn pride down tools and don't really try anymore and get rinsed and that kind of thing shouldn't be happening, but it does. Now, the other thing is, again, that happens regularly and has happened regularly in other leagues like La Liga, not so much in Serie A because they play a more defensive style, but certainly in Bundesliga, and nobody bats an eye because, hey, those clubs are power clubs. They've been power clubs forever, and that's just the way the ball bounces. But when City does it, it's offensive. It's wrong. It's troubling. And you know what? So what? Professional players are paid to play, and we don't have to worry about their feelings, and then we don't have to worry about their emotions. 6-0 and 1-0 are basically the same thing. It's a loss in professional sports. These aren't kids. So, again, this match, I don't want to say it was a formality, but, I mean, City were like But minus, it was a formality. Well, they were minus 450 to win the match, and the, the goal line was them laying a goal and a half in a cup final. Um, and really, you know, looking at it again afterwards, yeah, they could have laid five goals in one, that bet. But the point is, you know, laying a goal and a half in a cup final is a pretty offensive slight to the team you're playing, but that's how good City are. Yep. Um, the thing that I was most impressed by with City, and then we'll get off this, here's a club that were taken to the wire by Liverpool to win the Premier League the week before, right? They already had the League Cup in their back pocket, and they were about to be uh, rendered yesterday's news by the Europa League final that features Arsenal and Chelsea and the Champions League final that features Liverpool and Tottenham. They had every reason maybe not to go full bore, guns blazing in this FA Cup final and maybe just try and eke one out or maybe not even show at all, like play not that great and lose on a fluky goal, you know, a handball penalty or some such nonsense. But Guardiola wouldn't let them do it. He, he would not let them do it. And by the way, I wanted to touch on this a moment ago as you're sitting here talking about how Guardiola likes the spotlight. Well, I wish he was more of a shrinking violet like Mourinho and Ferguson. Get the hell out of here with the <laughs> Guardiola criticism. These guys are all egomaniacs. The only reason they're as good at, at what they do as they are is because they're egomaniacs. That's part of the deal. And if you don't like it, then, you know, get Von Hall in, you know, or bring Zidane back again. Love Zidane. I'm sure you do. He is he is not a uh, a man who looks for the spotlight and sending Zidane. He's just a yeah. He's a shrinking violet, just, like I said. He's just a real. He's a, a wallflower. Real, he's a real workhorse and a, a guy that that just shies away from the spotlight. Where shall we go next? Because I've I, I I can't defend it anymore. I can't defend Guardiola anymore. And as I said, 
City's not going to kick another ball in anger until August. So they're yesterday's news now. It was a wonderful season. Um, there will be more inquests into their business practices. And UEFA will continue to wag a finger at them and threaten to ban them from Champions League. But again, putting aside the fact that UEFA doesn't want that smoke and doesn't want the legal challenge that City is sure to bring, why would you want to have a Champions League without City in it next year when they've never won it? And it's really the last grail that the they have frontier. to chase. Yeah. Why would you want to eliminate that? That's the storyline that carries that competition for as long as they're alive in it. UEFA's crooked, but they're not stupid. Yeah. And I don't think City is going to be out of that competition until such time as either they win it or they're not good enough to be in it anymore, which means they're going to be in it for a while. Yeah, I think it's a good point. Um, let's move on to the Bundesliga. So as you uh, had predicted months ago, despite Bayern Munich uh, being nine points back of Dortmund uh, as recently as January, they uh, they did it again, Phil. They won yet Is another it? Bundesliga. I don't know if I've told this story on the show before. I probably have, but I don't know if our listeners will remember. But there's an old story about the late comedian Milton Berle, who was allegedly really, really well endowed. And they're in the locker room at one of the hoity-toity California country clubs one day and proposed that someone else in the locker room is better endowed than Milton. And a bet is arranged, and uh, the challenger has to go first, and he brings out what he has. And from the back of the room, a voice comes out and says, don't show him the whole thing, Milty, just show him enough to beat him. <laughs> and that, my friends, is Bayern Munich. They'll just let Dortmund feel like the big swinging thing in the room for as long as they feel like letting him feel that way. And then when the business end of things comes in the second half of the season, the seasoned professionals, they come out, they do their thing. And here's Dortmund. They, uh, pardon me. Here's Bayern. They went by like two points. Again, not an impressive, not an overwhelming victory, just enough to beat them. Yep. I, uh, I'm a little bit bummed. I'm going to be honest. I think it's great that uh, that Ribéry and Robin got to go out as champions once more. They've they've dedicated years of their careers, some of the best years of their careers, um, to Bayern, to being in the Bundesliga. Have never really caused any kind of problems. They've been con- you know they've been consummate professionals. They've I'm sure they've received offers or they had received transfer interest from other leagues, from other teams, and they uh, they stayed with the powerhouse of uh, of Germany. And it, it is kind of nice in a sense to see them go out as winners, but it gets a little bit boring. It's the same thing with Juventus winning yet another Scudetto. It's just at some point you want to see another team rise to the occasion and, you know, knock down Goliath. And Dortmund did it a few years back, but but really this has just been the Bayern Munich show. And now if, if nothing else, there is the interesting – it's not a conundrum, but like the interesting – um, offseason that that is to come of how do you replace a guy who means so much to your team like Robin and a guy who to some extent I mean I think Ribery slowed down quite a bit and, and he hasn't really been able to stay healthy these last couple of seasons but like how do you replace the production that those guys gave you at at their best and in the case of Dortmund it's not just a matter of how do you close the gap that currently exists but it's how do you get out ahead of of what Byron is going to do to reload their team for next year and um, they've made three signings. I don't know if you want to talk about those at all, but I think they're good signings. They're they're going to certainly get them to the 
I, I would say maybe not the next level, but I think it's going to make up for the departure of like a Christian Pulisic. Um, and I think it's going to, you know, if, if nothing else, it's going to continue to make a Dortmund a, a very competitive team in the Bundesliga next year. Yeah, so you have Hoffenheim left back Nico Schultz, uh, Ed Nazard's brother Thorgan Azard, and Leverkusen's starlet Julian Brandt. What this signals to me is that Dortmund realizes that when you're Borussia Dortmund, the window opens very narrowly and not for very long. And they came pretty close this year. They're losing Christian Pulisic, obviously. Um, Bayern's going to throw scads of money at the summer transfer window. Dortmund knows that it's going to be a very tall task, even to get back to the point of having a close second again next season. But with the transfer money they got from Chelsea and with the you know temporary, at least, notoriety that they have as a club on the come with a chance to threaten Bayern and with Champions League football still promised, they are going to go for it and sign these young players and hopefully have them for two or three more years to challenge Bayern uh, until such time as Bayern becomes the other superpower again to rival City and Barcelona and Real, et cetera, and so forth. I'm not trying to slag Bayern when I say that. It's just it wasn't a great year for them. And it hasn't really been a great run for the last few seasons for them. They keep winning their domestic league, um, not in a dominating fashion, but good enough. Uh, but then they're not the same as they were five or six years ago. And we've talked about this in the show before. At some level, it's never bad to win your league. But if Byron had somehow found a way not to win the league this year, it might have hastened and accelerated the process of rebuilding, retooling, uh, loading up. At this point, if you're a Bayern supporter, you might talk yourself into bringing as many of these guys back as you can who are willing to come back or who are capable of coming back. And I'm not really sure that's what Bayern needs. I think they need to get younger and faster. No, I agree. And I think, you know, we came into the season wondering if Kovac was the right, um, the right man to lead this team. And, you, you know, you've mentioned it a few times now and throughout the season, but the Spiron squad was not that same kind of team they were under, you know, like the Pep Guardiola's of the world or the Carlo Ancelotti's of the world. It, there was a certain form that was lacking. Now, maybe it was just they didn't want to go out and replace Robin and Ribery before they had to. They wanted to let those guys kind of go out on their own terms. I don't know if that was it. Um, Hamas, I'm not really sure anyone can explain what the hell happened to Hamas Rodriguez. He, uh, he just fell off a cliff. When they picked he him was, up, he was, so he was good. the guy. He was so good for Real Madrid for a long, you know, not a long time, but he was he was very good for Real Madrid and fell out of love, moved on to Bayern, should have come in and been, you know, one of the top three players on the, on the club and should have been a guy that they could have looked to for the next, you know, at that point for the next six, seven years to lead the midfield core. And to, you know, kind of lead that next wave of great Byron players. And he has just been woeful, non-existent. Enigmatic. Invisible. More than anything else. So. It's, it's impossible to figure. The guy's 27. He should, but then again, it's kind of a, like a mini Neymar syndrome with him, right? Like a player in his prime, but somewhat lost. Yep. Um, with, uh, now in, in Neymar's situation, Neymar was definitely one of the key components. As you said, Hamas was brought in to grow into that role and never did. He just kept getting pushed down 
uh, by these 30-odd old players. And I know I'm going to bore the listeners again, but, I mean, there's so many 30-plus guys on this roster. Lewandowski, uh, Boateng, uh, Ribery, uh, obviously Rubin, uh, who's obviously on his way out. Just It's it's amazing to me that uh, a player of Hamas's skill couldn't forge his way into the eleven and make himself the guy who plays 90% of the matches and all the important ones. And he didn't do it. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. It is, it is a, uh, it's disappointing. And, and I also say that, like, after Vidal left, you would have thought that that would have freed open a spot in the lineup, and it never did. Uh, let's move uh, to a German who does not play in the Bundesliga but might at some point. And you have listed here, Leroy Zane who uh, is not necessarily somebody that Guardiola likes to mix into the rotation all that much. Uh, it would be interesting to see him come back to uh, to Germany, considering the fact that he couldn't make the German t- uh, national team's roster uh, in the last World Cup cycle. A guy who probably could have helped them. Could have As a city supporter. That, that speed and that youth and that dynamic um, you know, skill set. It's going to be interesting. As a city supporter, I love watching him play. He's fast. He scores goals. He creates. It's awesome. Uh, but as I may have said also on the show before, if you have a series of bad roommates or a series of exes who all hate you, usually you are the common denominator in that problem, and you therefore are the reason <laughs> that all these things have gone wrong. If Guardiola, who turned Raheem Sterling into a lethal weapon, doesn't favor Leroy Zane, and if Leroy Zane found his way out of the German World Cup squad the last time around for reasons that nobody can can understand. Well, we're not privy to the training sessions, uh, the meetings, the times where they make suggestions to him that he should do things differently or better and he blows them off, possibly. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, I'm just suggesting that as much as I love watching him play and I wish he would stay at City, really, when I look at what City are doing – there's a guy who will bring you an enormous return in transfer. And if he doesn't fit in Guardiola's plans, you have to sell him for as high a price as you can right now to try and get your wave off your back and, frankly, uh, you know, create less of a glut of attacking talent because that's one of the problems City has. As I've often said to you, no matter how much money you spend, you can only play 11 players at a time. And if you have two or three players that do the same thing all on huge wages— that's not helping anybody, and it's just going to create controversy and problems. So as much as I hate to see him go, if he's a natural fit for Bayern and Bayern will pay the price that he should command, City should make that transfer. We'll see if they do it. Not sure, but you're right. We'll see if uh, we'll see if it happens. Let's go to uh, Serie A. Of course, we've talked about for many weeks now. Juventus won the Scudetto. Nothing really matters. But there's one thing that matters, and that's the uh, the last two Champions League places. Uh, and shout out to Napoli. Yep. Solid second place. 11 points back at Juventus, but a very credible campaign. 24 wins and 37 played. That's excellent. Uh, so I, I don't want to be disrespectful to the Napoli fans. But we are here to let everyone know that there's still a race on for Champions League places in Serie A. We have Atalanta at 66 points. We have Inter Milan at 66 points. We have AC Milan at 65 points, and we have Roma at 63. And they're all viable. They're all still alive, although obviously Roma needs a lot of help. Um, but they may yet get it. So let's talk that over. It's uh, it's going to be interesting because Inter, Inter is going to play Empoli, 
they're one point above uh, above the drop, and they are desperate to uh, to get themselves into a little bit of a more solid footing at the bottom of the table. So this is a uh, it's a squad that might not necessarily line up uh, very well with Inter, but they're going to be desperate, and a desperate team is a uh, a team that uh, you know you don't want to have to go up against. It doesn't matter if they're a bottom of the table club, if uh, if you are playing a team that is as desperate as Empoli has to be and Empoli gets to go and play at Inter, they are going to have to play balls to the wall, right? Like, that's the way that you would expect it to go. So that that's not necessarily the the breezy uh, kind of matchup that people might expect it to be. At Atlanta, hosting Sassuolo, middle of the table, is um, not going to uh, be able to miraculously work their way into Champions League or Europa League consideration. They're not anywhere near the bottom of the table, so relegation really doesn't exist for them. So it, it really just is, if you're Sassuolo, it's, you know, show up, collect your paycheck, whatever happens, happens. Atalanta, you would think going into this, is uh, in prime position to uh, to get a good result here. I think I'd rather play Sassuolo with nothing to play for than Empoli, who are, uh, you know, on the brink. The AC Milan matchup with Spa, like, um, you know, essentially you're looking at the same thing, right? Sassuolo, Spa, both mid-table. And um, I don't know, unless you're going to try to make the argument that guys want to, you know, jockey for pride and positioning, um, I wouldn't be so sure. It's a beautiful time to be in Italy right now. I think all these guys are getting ready to go off to the Amalfi Coast, so I wouldn't expect too much there. The Roma-Parma game is, uh, I don't know, there's a little bit of of history there between Roma and Parma, so it's not like Parma is going to roll over and die. But again, not a whole lot to play for on their side. And like you mentioned, Roma needs quite a bit of help to get themselves into uh, some kind of Champions League consideration. So, you know, even in a worst-case scenario or a best-case scenario, I guess, if you're Roma, you know, maybe Inter goes out and ends up on a draw. I I, I don't know. For as desperate as Empoli has to be, I, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to go in and pull a, a, an absolute stunner on Inter. Um, you'd need at least, what, one of Atalanta or AC Milan to drop points against a mid-table team. I mean, it's probably unlikely. So Roma... And you need AC Milan not to jump up, too. In other words, Roma is still chasing all three of them. So yeah. Roma has the worst chances by far. They have to win and get not just help, but a lot of help. Yep. Now, so. I'll say this. Um, I think the the wisest bet on the board, if we're going to talk about that, is to just parlay Inter and Atalanta and figure they're both going to win and do the deal. And they'll both be favored, uh, but you'd get better odds if you put them together. Um, I always want the points. <laughs> I always want the lead. Uh, I don't want to be chasing, and I don't want to root for somebody else to fumble on the goal line. I agree with you that I don't think Empoli is going to all of a sudden turn into world beaters and create problems for Inter that they haven't been able to create over 37 match days before now. The only reason I brought up the fact that they're one point above the drop is that they do, in fact, figure to play a lot more aggressively. Although, when you're a point above the drop, a draw would be just ducky for Empoli, right? Like, so they may not play balls out. They may sink it in and try to get a nil-nil and hope that the point they earn against Inter would be enough to get them through, which would then create the opportunities for Atalanta and AC Milan and Roma. I'll be interested to see how these matches play out, but I'm going to stick to what I said a moment ago, which is I like Inter and Atalanta to get the job done, do the business, 
win their matches and take these last places. I agree. All right, let's go to La Liga. And I know we have that, to. Yeah, we do because I know that I know that you want to talk about the last Champions League spot, but I I think it's it's probably of the utmost importance that we we mention something that you don't have on your on the show sheet here, and that is the fact because we're not getting to league on at all. It's the fact that Kylian Mbappe has now mentioned the possibility of pursuing a new challenge. And what team is it, if I remember correctly, Phil, from a few months ago that were rumored to be, even as far ago as a, as a year ago, as looking for somebody who could potentially replace the speed and the dynamic play of Cristiano Ronaldo and then also lead the next wave of great young players at Real Madrid. I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, I, I just gave the answer away. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Real Madrid have now once again been mentioned as a potential suitor for killing Mbappe, which would be absolutely exquisite. I mean, is there a better match in all of international football than the best team in the world, not this year, but typically, in Real Madrid, the pride of Spain, the pride of the capital, the merengues, the blancos. Just think about that, Phil. Remember when and they were killing saying Mbappe that about- can don... That kit, just imagine, imagine thousands of Spanish fans cheering at the top of their lungs. Racially this, abusing This him. young, wonderful player, Cristiano, who? You used to say this stuff about Gareth Bale. He's still on the team, right? Who? Right, exactly. Who? who? Sorry, I've, I've got a bail on Gareth. Nah? Nah? Can we trust the... Madridistas to treat Mbappe with appropriate respect. Of course. And not denigrate him for the color of his skin or the fact that he's French or anything like that. Nothing but love. trust him? Nothing but love. Okay. Yeah. It's going to be fine. Well, get him in there first, and then we'll see how it turns out. All right. Since you you brought up bail, let's uh, let's get the bail part of this uh, going. So over the weekend, Zinedine Zidane was quoted as saying that um, he would not have subbed on Gareth Bale in their match even if he had a fourth substitute. Think that of the is something. Like, think of... That quote is the biggest indictment of a player I think I've seen in at least the last five years in any sport. It doesn't get much more damning if you're a manager than saying something about a player like that. And there have been plenty of issues in the past. And Zidane's been there for years. I mean, granted, he took a little sabbatical in the beginning of the year whatever you want to call it. But like the idea that after having won multiple champions leagues were, were bail factored in. And and by the way, bail was the reason they won the last champions league final um, coming in as a sub and putting in multiple goals as a sub it was amazing. Um, and making Zidane look like a genius in the made him look like a genius. The fact that now at the end of this season, that has been an abject failure for Real Madrid to not put the guy in the game. And then to say, that if he had even had this additional sub, he wouldn't have put him in. I, I mean, this is this is heading for a very bad ending. Um, and quite but frankly, it like though? it felt, I think it is because it's uh, you know Bale is going to be happier wherever he goes. But it's just like one of those situations where it felt like even from from the very from the the initial jump, the move away from Tottenham to Real Madrid was something that felt like it could have been doomed from the start. And there were always questions about whether or not Ronaldo and Bale were going to be able to play together. Well, going into the season, Cristiano left. 
and it should have become Gareth Bale's team. But what happened, Phil? Once again, injury concerns. Once again, fitness concerns. Once again, concerns of him just not being the guy that you spent all this money for. And now we sit here once again at the end of a year, wondering out loud into a microphone, is this the end of Gareth Bale's tenure at Real Madrid? And it certainly, more than last year, would appear to be yes. Here's the problem with that. He's got three years left on his contract at an estimated $15 million per year. Let me tell you about what's going on with Manchester United and Alexis Sanchez, who they wildly overpaid on a transfer. And for the last 12 to 18 months, United has been trying to offload Sanchez to anybody who would take him, and all they get back are either crickets or giggles. And that, right now, is where Real Madrid finds itself with Gareth Bale. I don't know, man. There there are Chinese league teams that have gone after guys like Javi and Iniesta in the past. Like, I, I've got to think that there's somebody who's going to want to take a flyer on Gareth Bale. I have to imagine, and I've not seen Bale's contract, that he has the right to squash any move to any league that's not one of the major European leagues. You don't think that anybody in the EPL would think about it? Well, we kind of had this conversation last week. Yeah, some would think about it. I mean, United has been the rumored landing spot forever, but they're once bitten twice shy over the Sanchez thing. And I think Madrid, Real Madrid is in the position where if they want to make a deal like that happen now, they're going to have to eat money. And I'm not sure they want to do that. This is possibly the classic cheaper to keeper option. Like, you know, why is divorce so expensive? Because it's worth it. But sometimes it's not. And sometimes you just got to stick around with what you got and ride it out. And again, spoken like a this, true attorney. Look at this you. relationship. Well, what do you want from me? This relationship between Bale and Zidane and Bale and Real Madrid has not been smooth sailing, as you've already documented. But they've also won together, right? And with three years left on the deal, it's probably in the best interest of both parties to let the summer play out quietly as best you can. Hope Bale comes back fit and plays really well in the first few months of next season, and Real Madrid gets back among the powers in the league, and again, winning cures all. Uh, And then you just kind of hope you can ride it through that way for enough time where enough of the months are knocked off the contract where maybe in a year and a half you can loan him out or you can work out some arrangement where you only have to pay half of the half of the money that's left sort of thing. I don't think there's an out path for Real Madrid with Bale right now, unless they're really willing to pay through the nose. And I don't think they want to do that. Just you wait until Wolves come in with the massive transfer offer. Then we'll see how you're feeling about it. I still feel like United is the most likely landing place for him because they've always kind of liked him. It's one of those things where, you know, United has moved on from their uh, interest in Gareth Bale. And, you know, two, three years ago, it was, it was hot and heavy. Um, and then Bale went off and, and did his thing in Spain, and it was, you know, mixed. There were great times, and there were not great times. But you never forget when you're kind of interested in somebody, right, Russ? You know about that. You know, somebody catches your eye, and then they kind of go and do something else, but you never forget about them. Well, that's where United is with Bale right now. And I think, again, if a little bit of time passes and Real Madrid can make it fiscally sensible and Bale does enough in the league in Spain to convince United that he still has something left I wouldn't rule that out you can't rule anything out 
in international football. I can tell you one team that probably won't go out and get them, and that's Manchester City, because they won't exist after uh, after this uh, next ban. Well, they don't need him. Anyway. Um, point. So we've got um, Valencia. Valencia, my friend. Valencia finishing fourth. It's a great thing. Um, Hetafe had actually had a, a really a really nice season going for them, an overachieving season, a season that no one really had uh, had thought that they were going to uh, to have. Quite frankly, a and veteran, not particularly expensive club, and a club that even Hetafe supporters, I think, would admit uh, that if they were dumped into group play in the Champions League next season, it could have been pretty horrible. It could have been, but like that's part of the thing, right? Like you, you want to get there, regardless of how you end up showing up for that tournament. The idea of making it and making history and giving your fans that kind of moment, I think, is kind of like the Sixers anymore. Oh, there it is, there it is. Just getting there is an honor. You want to call him McCannon? No. Just getting there is an honor. Right. We don't have to worry about winning. Let's just get there. You know, uh, Phil, I, 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 it, it does bother me how you, uh, you come after my team like that, and you do it in a way that is kind of cowardly behind you, uh, your keyboard. Come down to Camden. How about that? Anyway, you're such a nice man. Everybody loves you. So There'd be no reason to take you on that way. So I'd kind. never do that. He's I'd so rather kind. just stick behind my microphone and lob bombs. He kept the he kept the beard. Um, look, here's the thing. Valencia and Sevilla are traditionally the teams that are gunning for that fourth spot, right? Because we always know that Atleti, Real, and Barca are going to be the top three. Usually um, Barca. And, um, you know, I, it, I, I think it's always just... It's between Valencia and Sevilla. It is what it is. Sevilla, a little bit of a bummer for them, but, you know, kudos to Valencia. I do want to point out something, uh, Phil, and I don't think we talked about it on the last episode, but since I mentioned Atleti, Antoine Griezmann, the little Frenchman himself. You want to talk about a guy who uh, I don't think I'd ever want to see on a club that I support? It's Antoine Griezmann. He's a good player. He's a dynamic player. He knows how to finish. But if uh, if you remember a year ago, I think it was almost a year ago, he decided to go total narcissist. He took a, a, a page out of the LeBron James playbook. And he had a 45-minute documentary aired called La Decision, right? Or Decision, whatever you want. Or Decision, whatever. Whatever you're into. Pick your dialect in Spain. And um, it was all about his decision to stay with Atletico Madrid over going to Barcelona, which was the rumored club. And here we are a year later after the man said that he wanted to spend his entire career with Atletico Madrid. A year later, we are now finding out that Griezmann has no interest or no intention of coming back to Atletico Madrid next year. And what club is mentioned as the favorite to land him? Of course, that would be the club from a year ago, Barcelona. Are you surprised by Antoine Griezmann's apparent change of heart? He's French, right? He is. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Whoa! <sighs> Just throw uh, throw the entire nation under the bus, why don't you? Well, I threw Griezmann under the bus. Everybody else was just standing there. All right, well. Okay. I guess that's enough of that. Uh, do you think Griezmann is a guy who takes Barca to the next level? I do not. I think Barcelona for now goes as far as the waning speed of Lionel Messi takes them. Um, would he help? Yeah, of course it would help. Um, but, you know, they still have Suarez, right? They do. 
I don't think he's going to take a lot of time or uh, ball possession away from Suarez, and he's certainly not going to take it away from Messi. Um, so can he integrate with those players and, and be productive? I guess he could. Sure. Um, but you just pointed out the guy's an amazing narcissist. Does he want to go and be the third banana? I don't really think he does. There's a guy who could make a move to the Premier League if somebody would have him. Um, all right. Name a, uh, a potential suitor. Chelsea. Go on. Well, I mean, they just lost Azar. Um, they are basically – Chelsea is basically a side right now that is one prolific scorer and playmaker who shows up every match away from being right back in the title contention discussion. They didn't have a bad season. They just weren't nearly as good as Liverpool or City were. Um, but that's primarily because they don't score enough goals. Griezmann would fix that for them, at least in the short term. So, yeah, Chelsea was the first club that popped to mind, and, and that's what I'm going to stick with. Now, the other one would be Arsenal, right? Because they seem to love uh, French players. Uh, and they already have a lot of pieces in hand already, Arsenal. And they are trying to knock on the door of being back in the top four again. And... Griezmann would help with that, for sure. I don't like him so much at Spurs. And I know you hate Spurs, so let's not even go down that road. It's not that I hate Spurs. It's just, you know, they're not not good. I don't think he fits at Spurs the way he might fit at Arsenal or Chelsea. Okay. Um, And he's he's not getting into the team at Liverpool or City, so there you go. Since you already mentioned uh, Hazard, you said he's gone. It's not official yet, but it would appear that that, uh, Aiden Hazard is going to be going to... uh, to Real Madrid. There is a rumor going around right now that uh, Madrid might also target Mohamed Salah and Paul Pogba. So uh, in this show, you have Real Madrid with Mbappe, Azar, Pogba, and who else did you just Salah. say? Yeah. Wow, that'd be awesome if they get all four of them, huh? Galacticos, man. Galacticos. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think so either. If you get one, you should be very happy. They can get two. They can get two. I guess. There's does Mo Salah really want to go to Spain? No. I'm not saying he'd be he the does. guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, think he does. he'd be. I don't think he's the guy. I see Azar going, and I maybe see Mbappe going. I really don't see Pogba going, frankly. Pogba's going to be an interesting one, though, right? Because go, it, it feels he'll like... He'll go to every, PSG. He'll go to PSG uh, if he goes anywhere. Uh, I don't know, man. I know that the, I know, I know the nationality thing, but like, I, I wonder if Pogba knows that PSG just can't take that next step. Like... Is there any fun? Like, if, if you're used to being in title races... Now, I know that he went and he won um, with Juventus. Uh, he won uh, Serie A. But, like, the idea of leaving a competitive league in the EPL to go and and just kind of stomp all over people in league Gun and then know that you're not going to win a Champions League... Some like, guys are into that. They might be. And maybe he does want to go home, but I don't know. I, I don't know if that's enough. Like, I, I, I don't know, to be honest. Um... Let's see. I don't see. I don't see Pogba at Real Madrid at all. Is there anything else you wanted to hit in Europe? No, I think we're covered from now. Other than the fact that the Women's World Cup is coming up, and apparently there was a huge ticket snafu where if you bought the tickets, you may not even be sitting next to the person that you intended to sit next to. But we can go into that at greater depth when we get a little closer to the Women's World Cup. Well, that's a lot of fun. Have to carry the show for a while. Well, that's a lot of fun. And uh, here's the other thing, I guess, that we should also mention. We know that the Europa League and the Champions League final are uh, are both coming next week. We're going to have uh, mini shows to go for both of those, along with uh, you know some sports betting um, components to it. So if you're looking for a little bit of a preview and the uh, um, 
the sports betting angle of the Europa League final. Yeah, and speaking of like, parlays, we'll, uh, we'll there be will there. be parlays. Yeah, of course they will. And I'm looking forward to uh, to Patty O'Dollars to uh, to break that out for us. The triumphant return. Patty. I had a bit of a, a crisis uh, realizing that there wasn't another Premier League week of matches to write about last weekend. I, I was, like, bereft. I thought about sitting down and doing a preview of the FA Cup, and I'm like, well, no one's going to read that because he's going to win 4 nothing, and they only won by 6. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Look at you. You've just gotten so smug. Where shall we go so now? Smug. So smug. Could we, rage. could we possibly go to Chester again? Do you hear that ticking? That ticking. I do hear it. That's the Union Minute, and it is oh, time. It's like the it's like the stopwatch at the beginning of sixty minutes. Yes, the hype is real. Fantastic Union Minute, Philadelphia Union, your team, your hottest town. segment this show has. So hot, it's like uh, it's like all the Cholulas mixed together with Texas Pete and Tabasco. I have the MLS table in front of me. Would you like to know who's leading the Eastern Conference? I know who it is, but go ahead and tell us anyway, Phil. Your team, your town, your Philadelphia Union. Mm. 13 played, 7-1, 3 drawn, 3 lost. Mm. 23 goals for, 12 against. Mm. Positive, 11, positive 11 goal difference. The next best goal difference in the conference, Russ, would you like to guess what the next best goal difference in the conference is? Plus 6. Plus 5, Ooh. DC United, who have played one more match than your United. And all of a sudden, you know... We're not that far into the season, but they've played enough matches where this starts to not look like a fluke. It feels real. It definitely is feels it real, real, Phil. Well, I'll tell you what was real was the nil-nil that they threw up against Seattle over the weekend. And I don't mean for that to sound disrespectful because they completely outplayed and dominated the Seattle Sounders, a, a club that, of course, beat them in uh, the United States Cup final a couple of seasons ago when Dempsey was still on the team. Um, Union had 20 shots to the Sounders' six. They had 68% possession, uh, 86% pass accuracy, which is, like, unheard of for them. And they had all the best chances and most of possession. They had six shots on target to Seattle's one. And after a while, Seattle bunkered in and said, we're just going to try and get this point and get the hell out of here. And that's what they did. But that's not the way this used to be. As a union supporter, these clubs didn't used to go in and wait and hope to absorb pressure and get a point. They used to come in here and think these were three points they had to have. And it wasn't that long ago that David Villa was chipping Andre Blake from 60 yards. Yep. And now you've got good teams from the Western Conference, which is, frankly, the better conference in the league, coming to Philadelphia and being happy with a point. This is big news. This is an important development. Um, I agree on all fronts. I, I'm a little bit distracted because uh, I, I just got an email, Phil. You want to know what the email is? Hit me. The Philadelphia Union have reached out, as they should, and they have uh, they have sent that there's going to be a media game, a media day scrimmage. Do tell. I'm listening. And your boy, at Joy on Broad, has been invited to attend. Wow. Are you covering this thing? Are I you went like a uh, sideline reporter? I went to one game. I went to the uh, opening day game, and apparently that puts me on a list. So it looks like, Phil, I could be lacing up my boots for the first time in a long time. Going well, head-to-head head, head head with me, the real titans of the Philadelphia Union soccer beat. This sounds to me like it will be its own episode as I sit pitch side uh, with 
you know, rotating cups of 24 ounces of IPA and comment on the exertions and energy and effort that you put out on the pitch in the media match. I can't wait. I wish they would play too. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I think it could be a, a real great thing. This would be awesome. Um, th- here's the thing about the union. Um, and, and Kevin and I had talked about this over on It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. But um, the absence of Corey Burke because of the uh, visa issue, allegedly based around a failed drug test, has opened up the playing time for uh, both Casper Shabelko and for Sergio Santos. And although it was a nil-nil draw over the weekend, you can just see that the way that this team plays up top is fundamentally different. And it feels like they actually have guys now who bring dynamic skill sets and aren't overly redundant. The uh, transfer away of David Akam, I think, frees up a little bit of, of headspace for Fafa Kipiko. It also makes him less redundant, right? Because it always felt like Fafa was just kind of like a, a lesser version of, of what you would hope Akam would be. Also a much cheaper version of Akam. Um, and now all of a sudden, you know, after seeing Brendan Aronson become a, a, you know, a guy who can contribute in the absence of Marco Fabian, you know that as guys start to get healthy again, um, the, this club, their ability to, you know, weather the storm, to, um, you know, deal with some, some pretty critical injuries to uh, not only Fabian missing time, Kai Wagner having red card suspensions and, and Andre Blake being out for an extended period of time. The fact that they've been able to face adversity, this is not your uh, not your grandfather's union, not your father's union, not even your union. This Aronson had the best. Aronson had the best chance in the match yep. and didn't hit it on target, unfortunately. But he was ready and and took his shot. He missed it. He'll bury that shot in the future. Um, I continue to marvel, literally, be amazed at Gaddis and Elliott and Trusty and Wagner on the back line, uh, looking like impenetrables. And they have Blake behind them. That's ultimately for me. We can talk about the attacking players all we want and Burke's visa issues and these strikers having a chance to emerge. This defense and this keeper and this midfield are, I think, the spine and the fulcrum and the keystone of this team, no pun intended. That's where it's built from. Defense defense wins championships, sure, but these are talented players and... They are, as I said, the goal difference is excellent. Um, They are maintaining possession in matches they need to do it in. And they don't even need to score a ton of goals to be successful. I don't want to go, I don't want to get crazy. Because I know we've talked about this before and and we don't want to get our hopes up. Because again, you know, the union's always ready to pull the carpet out from under you. Could we see a playoff game of talent this year? In the 10th season. The 10th season. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Rugby 7s are going to be played there again this year, aren't they? <laughs> right. Is that playoffs? Yeah. And NCAA, uh, I'm sure there's some college, maybe a Division Three match. No, I'm talking about an MLS playoff game that the Union host. Wouldn't that be awesome? Could we see it? It would be awesome. It would be amazing. The Sons of Ben would finally be rewarded for all their patience and all their alcohol consumption and all their rowdiness. And they'd still have the same five songs. So that's uh, six. Is it six? All right. And two flags. I miss Fareed Mondrigo, and he still had the uh, they had the best chant for him. And one drum. Yeah, there you go. Although the TIFO, the TIFO having the uh, the long posts uh, behind. The Actually, red, I think pretty nice. you've made a great point there. If they host a playoff game, and by the way, let's say they're like the highest seed in the tournament 
and they host a playoff oh, game. Stop. The TIFOs would be Intense. absurd. I mean, I give the Sons of Ben credit for this. They are witty and they are clever. Um, they're also obnoxious and rowdy, but the TIFOs would be special. I mean, what they would do for Jim Curtin alone would probably be maybe not printable in a newspaper, but would be pretty awesome. Yep. I think it could be a, a really great thing for the city to not only have the Phillies playing well, but to have this team and, and finally see the union after 10 years get a little bit of the uh, little bit of the market share in the city. It would be nice. We'll see, though. I mean, now they're not just this team that's outperforming expectations. Now they have every team in the league gunning for them because they're at the top of the conference and they don't look like they're frauds. And, you know, I get that Seattle had some injuries and they were going across the country. And so it was, you know, in some way it was a, um, you know, an undermanned Seattle Sounders team. But if you're the union in the past, that could have been reason enough to play down to uh, to that undermanned squad and then end up getting, you know, popped with an early goal and a late win to seal it. So, you know, hats off to them. Hats off to Jim Curtin as usual. This is uh this is a good season for him, and it's a very good season for Ernst Tanner, who's uh, taken over the team, continues to uh, see his moves, his personnel moves from the last transfer window pay dividends. So the Union Minute continues to be longer than a minute here on Crossing Broad FC. And very quickly, shout out to Jack Elliott. Contract extension through 2021 with a club option for 2022. He's 23 years old, 60 regular season appearances, 58 starts. He is a building block for this club. They have identified him as such, uh, and assuming health and assuming continued development, that's the sort of player that creates repeated playoff appearances. Yep. All right. Sounds good. Uh, congratulations to uh, Mr. Elliot. That's a very exciting moment in his life to, uh, to get some guaranteed money. We want to get some of that money, don't we, Phil? Yeah, and on a first-place club, nonetheless. It's not like he signed on to some sinking ship. This Montreal. is... Exactly. This is as high as it's going to get for the time being until they host a playoff game and, dare I say, go to an MLS Cup final. Wow. All this year and only because of Crossing Broad FC. All right, Phil, I think that might be a good place to wrap. What do you think? For sure. All right. So uh, thanks for listening to Crossing Broad FC. There are other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network that you should check out. Uh, Check out the uh, the Sister Soccer Podcast. It's always soccer in Philadelphia with uh, Kevin Kincaid rotating uh, gaggle a rotating set of uh, co-hosts. I was on there. Phil's been on there. Matt George has been on there. A pride of co-hosts. Oh, there we go. Oh, going with the Lions, huh? See what we did there. See what we did there. Um, Go check out It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. Some cool stuff coming up. Um, There's going to be a live show coming up. Um, I don't think he's announced it yet, but it's going to be, I believe, in another month or two. He's been kind of alluding to there being an event in or around Chester. I think he's going to go public with that announcement soon. So make sure you uh, check out the show to find out exactly what and when that is crossing broadcast, which is the uh, flagship show of the crossing broad podcast network where uh, Kevin Kincaid and I talk about, uh, you know, Philadelphia sports. We're the only seven for seven podcast in the city. So that's exciting. Uh, Crossed up. If you're a Phillies fan with uh, Bob Wankel at BW crossing broad and Anthony Sanfilippo at Ant San Philly, as they uh, continue to break down and provide great coverage on your team, your town, your Philadelphia Phillies. Snow the goalie. Anthony and I recorded a new episode of that on Wednesday night. And um, yeah, go check that out for uh, to find out who the Flyers, uh, you know, a number one draft target could be. Talk about the uh, assistant coaching hires that were made. And uh, we talk about the fact that Philadelphia 
somehow played a role in the St. Louis Blues making it to the Stanley Cup final and rallying around the song Gloria. And there's one other show on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, and that, of course, is Broadlines, the sports betting podcast hosted by Kyle Scott and typically Jason Zernicki and or Bob Wankel. Um, a lot of their video content on the sports betting side can be found on not only Instagram and on Twitter, but also on the Crossing Broad YouTube channel. So go check those out as well. And as always, follow us on Twitter until the next episode of Crossing Broad FC. And you can uh, follow us on Twitter at Phil Keidel, K-E-I-D-E-L. It's not hard to spell. It's Phil Keidel and at Joy on Broad. The uh, handles and the links to those are in the description of this episode. And maybe more importantly than anything else, Phil, not only are we available on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else people get their podcasts, we are now available on Spotify, as are all the shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network. That's exciting. Anything else you want to say to the people? No, the dream is real. Leave us good reviews. Let people know you're listening. Hit us up on Twitter and continue to enjoy the show. We will be back next week. We'll be back next week with a micropod that is going to uh, lead people into uh, the Europa League final. And we will kind of break that down in the Champions League final. We'll give people an idea of where to place your money if that's something that you're interested in doing. We're also going to have to talk about a, uh, a real big deal in the international soccer community, especially when it involves a player on the Europa League finals team not attending the final because of things that are not related to soccer. So there's your cliffhanger. We'll be back next week. For Phil, I'm Russ. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a few days.